So uh, I've been teaching a retreat at Spirit Rock for the last week called Marana Sati. You want it louder? I can't turn it louder. So we'll see if it can be turned up, which we'll, we'll give it a try. This could be a long talk about death if we <laughs> keep stopping every minute or two. Testing, how's that? Is that better? Better? Is that good enough? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Let's try that. And again, wave at me if, if it's too soft. I'll try speaking louder. Um, so I've been teaching at this Maranasati retreat with Nikki Mirkafori um, um, this week at Spirit Rock. And uh, it's a very uh, powerful retreat. And as I said, uh, Maranasati is talked about uh, by the Buddha in this way. He says, of all the footprints in the jungle, that of the elephant is supreme. Of all the footprints in the jungle, that of the elephant is supreme. Of all the mindfulness meditations, that of death is supreme. And it's really a very powerful, and it was a very powerful week that we had with people. We did a week of studying death and, you know, investigating death and sitting with death. And also, we, we, it was mostly silent, meaning, you know, 90% of the time. And then we did an hour and a half of um, investigative practice every day in relationship to death. So we were looking about well, what is your relationship to death? How do you feel about death? Uh, what's your experience of death been? And then also looking at the kind of reactions we have or fears or grief we have about death, whether it's our own death or the death of others. And um, as part of the investigative practice, we had people write their own obituaries, which is a very interesting practice to do. And you could all do it when you go home tonight, right? Write your own obituary. See what you put down and see what comes out and see how it feels because it's a very interesting practice to start to see. And I know this isn't new, but you're not going to live forever, <laughs> right? And that's a very normal part of life. And so we are teaching about death and life. And we, uh, we were doing inquiry and investigative practice every day, and then we were doing formal practice. And we, we were um, really happy to have Venerable Analyo, who I've spoken about many times. He's never, he's never taught here, Analyo, um, but he's written what I think is the best book on mindfulness I've read so far called Satipatthana, The Di Direct Path to Realization. And Satipatthana is translated as mindfulness. Um, that's, that's where the word mindfulness comes from. And a more accurate um, translation, in my opinion, would be uh, um, the practice of awareness. And, um, and so Analyo, who's in Germany, right now, and we, he and I have been talking about Marana Sati for a few years, and um, 
And uh, I was trying to get him to come and do a Varanasati retreat with me. And he was, he was saying, we'll, we'll do it, we'll do it. And then he's, he's too busy for a number of reasons. And so we had him Skyped in and he gave a teaching, which I haven't done that before, but it was great to have him in there and give a te live teaching from Germany at you know, 7.30 at night, our time. It was uh, 3, 3.30, 3.40 in the morning in Germany when he got up and, and did that. And uh, what was interesting, it, it's, and he's a monastic for the last 25 years and lives in a monastery and teaches also a lot. Um, but he was um, living at his parents' house, so he was in his old bedroom is where we were looking at him from. And he was in his parents' house because his parents are getting older and they need help being taken care of. And so he was there taking care of them. And, um, and, and he did one thing, I thought about doing it tonight, but I, but I didn't which is he, he, he did a talk about Maranasati and then he taught a Maranasati practice which is um, you breathe in not knowing if you will have another in-breath. In other words, you breathe in not knowing if you, you will die before the next in-breath. So breathe in knowing this could be your last in-breath and then you breathe out relaxing. Then you breathe in if there's another breath, not knowing if this might be your last breath, and then out relaxing. And so it's a very powerful practice to begin to experiment with because it takes you to the edge of the truth because actually none of us actually know when we're gonna die and we could die right now, anybody. And, and it's not wishing that on anybody, on ourselves or anybody else, or wanting that. It's just part of the reality of how life happens. And, and, and that means how life and death happens because they go together. And I'll say a little more about that because there's a beautiful, teaching in Zen, which I've talked about before here. If you go to Zen Center in San Francisco and they, they bang on this piece of wood that's hanging to call you to practice, right? They bang on the wood, they bang on it, then it, when it gets quicker, then you, you need to be in the Zendo. And if you're not in the Zendo, you, you wait, you sit outside. But what's written on this big, thick piece of wood is great is the matter of birth and death. Great is the matter of birth and death. Life passes quickly and swiftly and is quickly lost. Awaken, awaken. Do not waste your life, right? So this is the call to practice at Zen Center here in San Francisco. Great is the matter of birth and death. And birth and death is hyphenated. Birth and death, birth hyphen and hyphen death because it's connected. You can't have birth without death. You can't have death without birth. It's the way reality works. Every living thing is born 
and at some point dies. Maybe a second later, or a day later, or a year later, or a hundred years later, or much longer. Some things may live longer than that. But it's part of the nature of how reality works, is every living thing, there is birth and there is death. And so, and so it's pointed out that we have this somewhat amazing opportunity to wake up here as human beings. And it's, we don't have it forever, it's for a while. And, um, <clears throat> and so we did a lot of different, we did some other death practices. We did what, what's called the cemetery contemplations which is in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness in the Satipatthana Sutta. At the end, in the Four Foundations, it starts with body and the breathing and the, you're aware of the breath and the posture. And then all you want to be mindful in all the movements of the body and all the different functioning of the body. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down, you want to be mindful of the body. And in um, eating and uh, in, in speaking and listening, you want to be mindful of the body. And in eating and urinating and defecating, you want to be mindful of the body. And they go through all this and then they go through other things, being aware of the different parts of the body, literally internal and external skin and teeth and hair and bones and teeth and um, um, uh, blood and, and different organs and being aware of all that is one whole practice one can do in the in the mindfulness of the body and then there's um, there's sounds that arise <laughs> And, and then part of the teaching, or the last part of the mindfulness of body, is called the um, the charnel ground contemplations, because at the time of the Buddha, when people were dying or died, they would be taken to the charnel ground and they were burned. Right? That's what would happen. People weren't so much buried at that time and in that culture and place, but they were burned. But if they couldn't afford the wood to be burned, they were left there at the charnel ground and they were left to decompose, which body will do if you just leave it, right? It'll decompose and also animals will eat at it and pick at it and clean it up actually. And so there's a whole meditation, part of the meditation practice that you can do where you imagine or you go to the charnel ground and sit, which is what the, the, the followers of the Buddha actually did. You, they would go and sit at the charnel ground with a corpse that was decomposing one day, three days, one week, three weeks, a month, three months, six months, nine months, a year, till it goes through different stages of decomposition. And it doesn't have, we don't, we don't do that much here in the West. That is not our thing. And even to let that happen is very unusual. The most I've been able to sit with a body is three days we were able to keep a body. 
after somebody died and and because it's I don't even know all the details there's some legal stuff usually if somebody died they want to take him immediately or, or her immediately and um, um, and but it's interesting to sit with a body which and here just a little of my background so I worked in hospice for many years so I was with many people who were dying and died and and so I've spent time as part of my practice I was with the Zen hospice project and and that's what you're doing you're providing a service for people who are who are dying and they know they're going to die and you're just doing what's needed and part of then what happens is you're you're there at the moment of death and then afterwards and it is done as part of practice and you're offering your goodwill and your kindness and your care and you're also offering your peacefulness and your presence because it's a normal thing that people die. It's not a mistake. And that's the paradox of, of, of life in general is we think it's, it's a mistake. I mean, it can happen at times where we're not happy about it and we can have a lot of grief for many different reasons if somebody's young or it was unexpected or accident or or uh, violence like I, I assume everybody saw the photos of the men who are and women who are being honored out there because they're the victims of violence and it's one of the things that keeps happening in our society is that there's a certain kind of violence against the people of this society and people end up getting killed and we keep seeing at least in my opinion because I know we have different opinions about politics always uh, but you know from my, in my opinion um, there is it's the result of racism that as this country has grown up in and so there's an unconsciousness and a bias that ends up being violent in that way um, I want to go back to the talk a little more so we we did some we did some cemetery and we showed pictures of decomposing bodies because I have those for this purpose as part of practice and then we did some practicing around letting go and what are you holding on to because here's the beautiful thing right letting go is highly valued in Buddhism it's the doorway to freedom learning how to let go learning how to not hold down, not grasp, not cling, not push away, not deny, but to be real, but also to see that reality is just appearing and disappearing. It's arising and passing. This is the impermanence, the, the, the life of impermanence. Every moment just appears, sustains for a moment or a while, and then it changes, and then it disappears. And, and the Buddha, pointed at impermanence as one of the gateways to awakening, to freedom. And so we were looking at letting go, and of course, you will all let go totally. Hmm. Meaning we will all let go totally, because that's what happens when we die. We let go. We can't hold on. And it's 
the dukkha is thinking that we can hold on because we can't. It's just part of the nature of human reality that we will let go of everything. And so we also had people write some poems about letting go and about death and etc. etc. It was a good retreat. We we were very happy. I, I was very happy and the other teachers and um, so I thought I would continue talking a little bit about mindfulness of death, Maranasati here tonight and how we might consider it because it's part of our life. And it doesn't mean, oh, you're going to die tomorrow or the next day or a month from now. That's not what I'm saying. But, but there's, there's a certain kind of paradoxical positivity that happens when we're aware of death. And one of the great benefits that can happen when we're aware of death, when we're aware of impermanence in this way, is that we actually appreciate what's here because we know it's not going to be here forever. Uh, my friend Nikki, she mentioned this, Ajahn Chai used to say, he always used to hold up a cup and he'd say, I know this cup is already broken. I know it's already broken. And then he would drink his water out of it and he'd say, and, and, and it's beautiful and I, I love it. I love this cup. But partly I love it because I know it won't be here forever. And right now it is here and it's beautiful and it works and I love drinking my water out of it. But this cup is already broken. It's also true. And so part of what we begin to see as we open to impermanence, to change, to, to um, uh, uh, life and death on that level is that we may begin to appreciate what is here because we're all, we're all here and we're all alive, which I keep finding to be totally magical that we're alive at all. And so here are a couple things about life and death, right? First of all, um, it is said that two, there are 250 people born each minute, right? 250 people born each minute and 105 people die each minute. Right? So just, I don't know, we don't, I don't think we have a hundred people here yet, but, but, you know, some portion of all of us being born and some portion of all of us dying is happening all the time. And so it's totally magical, the whole deal, as far as I can tell. Here, here's maybe an easier way to think about it. There are four births each second of every day. Every second, four people are being born. It should be that easy. But it's not, we know that. But And then there are two people dying every second. right? And they're coming and going. Arising and passing is the term that's used in Buddhism. And the possibility of getting real about 
life and death, life and death can be very freeing and can bring a lot of fullness to our life because this is it. Like really, I mean this, I'm going to say it, it's a little radical, it's not bad radical, it's just, in other words, if, you're, if we're really here, this is the only moment there is right now. Everything else is just an idea. This is the only actual moment right now here. And we're all here sharing this moment. And there's, you know, we all have our memories, we all have past and everything, but it's all memory. And we all have future, you know, hopefully, you know, may that be so, but it's all an idea. The only thing that's actually alive is right now, is this moment. And to start to feel that, to feel the life that's here, in whatever form it's here, right? If you're, you're feeling happy and joyous, you know, great. If you're feeling sad and scared, that's also life. Life is here. And you can feel the aliveness. You can start to be aware of the aliveness. Your mind is working. You're thinking about what, whatever I'm saying, liking it, not liking it. That's all fine. But, it, but the aliveness is what's thinking, what's feeling, what's contemplating, what's agreeing with me, not agreeing with me. What, what is that aliveness? If you turn your attention towards the aliveness itself, what is that? I always find that kind of magical. You know, I could say, who is it? But that gets too much into identity. I don't, I'm not worried about that right now. I'm more interested in the, the phenomenology of existence, which is alive here and, and has this whole life that carries with it from the past and into the future, but right now is alive. And so there can be a lot of appreciation. It's another way to think about the gratitude that can come with this kind of contemplation of Maranasati. And then there's something about just getting real, getting real about life. This is the way it works, right? And here, this is from actually a woman who, who I like. Now, this is not her. That's a guy who I like. <laughs> Oh, here it is, from Jennifer Lowe. Uh, and she says, my friends, uh, let's grow up. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. Everything that can be lost will be lost. It's, so, it's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings, but please, let's not be so shocked by them. Right? Let's not act so betrayed as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with a ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, 
and her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild. Let's dance the wild. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. So Jennifer's, you know, she's a wild woman. And, uh, but beautiful what she's saying. Beautiful, and she's fierce about her understanding and what she's pointing at. Like, okay, and really all she's saying in one way is, let's grow up. This is the truth. We know what the truth is. Can we live with the truth? Because it's said in many traditions, the truth will set you free. And the word dharma, the best translation of the word dharma is truth, right? And so in Buddhism, we revere, we, we really appreciate Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Those are the three jewels in Buddhism, the three gems they're called. And, and we, we honor them and we take refuge in the three jewels of Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Buddha meaning our awake nature, who and what we are in essence. The Dharma, the truth, the truth of the way things are. And the Sangha is the community of people who understand life and, and what it is to be real and to be real together. This is from Joko Beck talking about gratefulness. Joko Beck, a Zen teacher who I like very much, um, who's not alive anymore. She said, we can think of gratefulness in practice as a recognition of what is already here. We can think of gratefulness in practice as a recognition of what is already here. That is, we are present and as we're aware and open and intimate with ourselves and our environment, we discover that gratitude is part of our experience. Being present is the gateway to gratitude. And one of the great gifts of this practice, of mindfulness practice, of Zen practice, she was Zen, right? Is that we do not take anything for granted. We do not take anything for granted. So we're not imposing our past on everything, saying, oh yeah, I know it, I got it, oh, I know who that is or what that is or what I am. We don't take things for granted. We don't know, and she's going on here now, we don't know what will happen next. We get to be grateful with new eyes. And I, I appreciate Joko Beck very much. She's, she's a great teacher, really, actually. And she, she's very similar to Brother David Stendhal-Ross, who was a Benedictine monastic, Benedictine monk. He said, um, 
Look closely and you will find that people are happy because they are grateful. Look closely and you will find that people are happy because they are grateful. The opposite of gratefulness is just taking everything for granted. Right? So when we start to see our life, that life is given. And it's not given forever, it's just given for a while. And here we are. We can start to appreciate or be grateful just to be here. And death happens. Death is part of life and we're all going to experience it with friends or family or community or in general. And then of course our own death will happen. And so I was teaching this retreat this week and I got a letter from a friend of mine who's a good, good friend, fellow teacher in the Diamond Approach. And she had gone to Holland, she's Dutch, and she had gone back to Holland because her father was dying. And I didn't know this, but she sent me an email, I got it a couple days ago, she said, uh, Dear Eugene, he passed, he passed 12 hours after I landed. He passed 12 hours after I landed. I was not present at the actual moment of death as I was asleep, but my mother woke me up. I sat with him, scared, awe, disbelief, expecting his chest to move with his breath, his eyes to open. Timeless, boundless, intimate, mystery, silence, deep abiding, unwavering presence, no fear, touching him, his hands, his face, tears and more tears. And so you hear her describing what it is to sit with her father who died. And the, um, nor and the normalcy, the normal response of the scared and tears and wanting him to see him breathe. Well, very, this is very normal. And then also the the, uh, the um, open, timeless, boundless, intimate, mystery, silence. Also the states of presence that arise when we sit with death. And uh, again, I worked for many years in hospice and sat with many people. And the, the real paradox, being with somebody who's dying is a lot like being present when somebody's being born. If you've been at a birth, it's totally wild. Like, we come out of somebody else's body? I mean, I know that's common knowledge, but, it, <laughs> but it's, it's just wild. That's where we come from. And it happens, like all of a sudden there's a new person there. I mean, you know, and I was happy to have, you know, a child when my daughter was born. I was you know, totally up for it. I'd done my birth classes, everything, you know, I, you know, California and San Francisco. And, and, um, and uh, my wife and I, we, and it was, you know, we, but it was, it was just wild, because here, this is personal, but I'll tell you. So my parents lived in LA at that time, and my mother kept saying, do you want me to come up when the baby's born? 
And I'm like, no, you don't have to come up. We're, we're cool. And, and every time we would talk, she'd say, you sure you want me to come up when the baby's born? I was like, no, no, we're fine. And I'm like, we go and we, we have a baby. And I, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, there's this new person here now and I have to take care of this new person. Like like about three hours later, I called my mom. I said, "Yeah, you should come up soon," because <laughs> I didn't know how to take care of a baby. We didn't know how to take care of a baby. I'm having I, and I'm having baby memories because I was walking. I'd gone to the hospital. We'd spent we we were in an alternative birth center in the hospital, which was actually very cool because it's a little like being in a hotel. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't uh, uh, I can't remember the name, midwife, you had a midwife. And it wasn't just, oh, doctors and all that, if, but doctors were there if needed. And so we, we had the baby and my wife did well and it was a big deal. And then after you know, a number of hours, it was like she was resting, baby resting. And so I walked back home. And I remember walking home and seeing people, and all I could, everybody I saw, I just saw this baby who was grown up. And of course, that's what we are. We're just these little babies who have grown up. You're not getting, you're not getting the transmission like I got it that day. But it was wild to walk around and just see where we come from and who and what we are is quite magical. So I'm going to just go on a little bit from my friend, what happened with her. So, you know, she said tears and more tears. And then she said, my sister and I washed his body and dressed him. He is still here with us in, in he is still here with us in the house a whole week. Now that's, that's very hard to make happen in America, but this is Europe and Holland and it's not even a big deal. But that's, if you ever have the opportunity to sit with a body, that is quite a blessed uh, 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 possibility for you and for the person who has passed because you offer your prayers and your good wishes and your metta and your love and your kindness and care into the field of whatever happens after one dies. And I don't know exactly what happens after one dies. I have my own experience of near-death experience, so I have some idea of what's possible, and I know what they say in Buddhism, but I don't have to know because we're all going to find out, right? We'll all find out the real thing. So I don't, I don't like to teach, oh, this happens, that happens, the other thing happens. But she, she said, right, this, they were sitting with him at, um, at all times of the day and night for a whole week. And then she goes, wow exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. So many feelings, even anger. I never, uh, I have never expressed to him. And presence changing every day from deep black space to pu pink, puffy, soul goodness. I feel him like a cloud. I feel him like a cloud, substantial at first, then slowly evaporating. Still around today though. 
And then she goes on a little bit, telling me about her, how her mother was doing and everything. And, and at the end she says, all is well, so much love. Right? And so partly I'm reading this because it's such a positive experience of, of grief, right? This is She's not happy her father died or anything like that, but she's there. And if mindfulness helps us in any which way, it teaches us to be here, to get here, to get here with what's true. Grief, sadness, anger, anger is very common when somebody dies. That's not an uncommon thing and it's not a wrong thing, it's just some anger. And as we can be with things, be with our sadness or our fear or our anger or, or and our love, our care, our missing, our wanting, it starts to let go. And let go doesn't mean we dissociate from it, it starts to mature. And by that I mean in my understanding in Buddhism is that when you learn how to be with suffering and difficulty, it begins to let go, it begins to release, it begins to dissolve. When you learn, so that dukkha, if you're new here, dukkha is suffering in Pali. Um, and if you're with sukha, which is goodness, then the sukha starts to mature or flower. And so if you start, you're, you feel the love and the openness, the, some of the words she said were the presence, the deep black space, and the pink puffy soul goodness starts to expand with our presence, with our mindfulness. And it's why we want to be mindful both with suffering and with not suffering and with goodness, with openness, with awakening itself. So, if you want to experiment with Maranasati practice, I'll give you a couple little possibilities. One is you could do this very simple awareness practice when you sit, be aware of your in-breath, and you know it could be your last in-breath, right? You just know, because you don't know what's gonna happen next, right? And you, just, and you just see what happens if you do that for a week of your sittings, right? In-breath, oh, this could be the last one. Out-breath, relax. In-breath, this could be the last one. Out-breath, you just relax. And if you want to be radical, you can see how oh, it could be your last out-breath too, but it's a nice balancing combination that the Venerable Analyo taught about um, in-breath could be the last one. Out-breath, relax, helps bring some balance to the meditation. Um, Another a practice you could do is take one thing that you do every day, maybe taking out the garbage or washing the dishes one time a day, and you could just reflect then, oh, this could be the day I die. And just reflect on it. And you don't have to think about it, you don't have to think. It's not saying, oh, you think, oh, these are the ways I could die. You don't want to... You don't want to do that. You just want to start to 
seed, S-E-E-D, you want to seed that contemplation that death is part of life. It's not separate from life. And so just taking a moment once a day and just re and then see what happens if you do it for the next week or the next two weeks or the next month or the next year every day. And then you start to see how a contemplative practice can be woven into life and change our life. Or another way you can practice a little in daily life with Sati practice that one could um, is notice death, right? And, you know, if you go by a cemetery, there's a lot of people there. Or there's a lot of people who were people. That's a better way to say it, right? So, and you know, and or or notice what's not here anymore. Notice what you're used to, and then it's gone. It's not here in the same way. San Francisco has changed a lot in the last few years, right? There's a lot that's died or gone. And so I'm equating a little bit arising and passing with Maranasati. And you can start to just be aware of, oh, there was a certain kind of life here, you know, or a certain place where there used to be a lot of life here. You know, I don't know if it's there still. Is the bowling alley still in the Presidio? Yes. It is. Okay, I thought it was gone. I thought we could use that. But So there's still life there. And someday it'll die, the bowling alley in the Presidio. Or, or whatever it might be, or Candlestick Park. You drive past Candlestick Park, I don't think they're playing any games over there anymore, right? That's gone, right? That's, that used to have a lot of life in it. That's gone, it's changed. We're being aware of arising and passing of how things live for a moment or a while, and then they're gone. And you just let that start to weave into your consciousness and see what happens. Um, and then just the last thing. Here, this is from Sogyal Rinpoche, Buddhist teacher, Tibetan Buddhist. He says, according to the wisdom of the Buddha, we can actually use our lives to prepare for death. We can use our lives to prepare for death. We do not have to wait for the painful death of someone close to us or the shock of terminal illness to force us to look into looking at our lives. Nor are we condemned to go out empty-handed at death to meet the unknown. We can begin here and now to find meaning in our lives we can make of every moment, we can make of every moment an opportunity to change and prepare wholeheartedly, precisely, and with peace of mind for death and eternity. And in the Buddhist approach, life and death are seen as one whole, W-H-O-L-E, as one whole where death is the beginning of another chapter of life. Death is a mirror in which the entire meaning of life is reflected. So, I, I've got to add. Well, 
maybe I don't. Maybe I'll stop there. Thoughts, reactions, liking, questions, please. They're not so good anymore. No, no, I don't mean that as a joke. They changed them. Now you can write a memorial for somebody, but it's not an obituary like they used to do obituaries, which were a little more dry. And anyhow, so I don't. Yeah. I don't anyway, so I'm one of those few people who still get an actual newspaper. Uh -huh. me, me too, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I started looking at the obituaries. Uh -huh. right. you know, I got in that habit, and especially like looking at dates, you uh -huh. know, and yeah. there's just, it's like some people live long lives, and then it's sad that other people have died quite young. Right. You know? um, right. And today I was looking, and there was a picture of a woman who I actually had encountered when I worked at this clinic, and I probably worked with her maybe six to nine months ago. She's elderly, but I saw this picture of her right. as this very vibrant younger woman, yeah. you know, and um, it just, it really kind of struck me in the heart because she was a very sweet mm -hmm. older lady to work with, but um, I don't really have a question, but I guess just in Eugene's words too about just how it's just wild that um, it's like life is here one moment and then it's just the next, it's gone, and like what, you know, it's just wild. Yeah. Like, where does it go? And it's a great question. And what is it? And, yeah. And what happens? And we will find out. That's the interesting truth, as far as I can tell. And there are different understandings, so we can put them in the room. Like in Buddhism, there is the understanding of rebirth, right? And and there's some sense that something is reborn, not exactly me being reborn. And what they say, uh, the karmic um, components get reborn, certain karma. Actually, Nikki had a really nice uh, image at the retreat. She said, it's like, you know, when, when you're shooting pool and you hit a ball and it hits the other next ball and then the next ball goes, the energy from the second ball came from the first ball, right? She said, that's what rebirth is. <clears throat> and so I, I like that personally. And, um, and, and we'll see what happens, but it is an interesting practice to do what you're doing, which is, oh, you read and you just start to see, oh, first of all, this is happening all the time to all these different people for all these different reasons in all these different ways at all these different ages. And it starts to normalize that even though it doesn't mean our grief goes away or our sorrow at seeing somebody we know pass away. And yet 
and yet, and there's a very famous, now I'm quoting a very famous haiku from Isa, who, who he was a, a Zen, he was a poet in Japan, and he had a number of children die, young ages, and, and he wrote this haiku, it said, the world of do, D-E-W, do, right? So he's make, he's talking about the the ephemeralness of life, a very common Buddhist understanding. The world of do is just the world of do, and yet, and yet. Yeah, and that's, you know, and that's exactly what we're dealing with. It's all just happening on its own, if you notice, really. Life, you know, is just happening on its own. Thoughts, feelings, sensations, they're all just happening on their own. We're not really doing them. Maybe we do a teeny bit of thinking, but most of my thoughts happen on their own. I'm not doing them. I'd be happy to get rid of them. I can't, <laughs> right? They're just happening on their own. Sensations, some of my sensations I like, some I don't like, but it's not really in control of them. You know, feelings, you know, I like some of my feelings, I don't like others, but I'm not in control of them. So, even being born, who, who knows? Sometimes people say, oh, you were asked to be born, you asked to be born in this body. I, I wouldn't mind a little taller body, you know, I, come on. I mean, you know, but, you know, this is the one I've got. Did I, and who's the I that's got it? Is there an I? That's another Buddhist question. We'll do another talk on that. Okay, thank you. Please. Hello, my name is Meryl. Hey, Meryl. Really? Point, point it at your mouth a little uh, more. Yeah, thank you. you. Great. Wait, 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 wait. My mother's passing, it's just happened back in March. And not going to go, my wife passed. Mm -hmm. And as did my other cousin. So this is an interesting topic that you're bringing up uh -huh. uh, for me. Um, and I have a question and a comment, but comment first. Sure. Um, I find myself feeling them being informed. Wait, 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 wait. When the, when the door goes on the parking lot, I, it's hard to hear you. So. Okay, Yeah. So I feel I'm being informed by a lot of different information from what I just call the other side. Uh -huh. New to Buddhism, so I don't really know how this would fit with Buddhism religion. But I feel, you know, I just became 60 years old. Um, and I feel now that things have marinated. Things have just been, well, over the years, things have been sort of harsh. And now, after having lived with life to about this age, I still think 60 is rather young, uh, uh -huh. that things are coming together for me and interweaving. But I also feel me that before I'm ready to pass on, who knows when that would be, that I'll bring more to the other side than more I live here now. You, you'll be what? I'll be able to bring more to the other side, more of my spirit, the more I live here and now. Uh -huh. So my question is, does Buddha address 
the idea of when you pass, you have taken your life and explored it, used it in a way so that others can benefit, both here and also on the other side. Assuming I still feel, anyway, my wife is talking to me. I feel, feel spirits are talking to me and they're saying, you're not ready yet. Uh -huh. There's times you don't feel like I want to die because right. hey, you guys went ahead of me and I didn't get a chance to really say goodbye to you. Right. Um, but there's more like, you know, you have a mission here. And I have quite a large mission. I work with people with disabilities. Uh -huh. And I have solutions that I think are very concrete and practical. Uh -huh. But for those to be really take hold, I really need to actually walk the talk. I'm in the process of actually doing that. So I don't feel I'm ready to go yet. Uh -huh. But I would like to feel that once I can that I've done my work and I've my life so that I have to invest good to the next generations, but also to the other side. Are there any thoughts about that, that good investment? There's different thoughts about it. Um, you know, what one way we could we could speak about it is you're talking about karma, right? And so that certain actions produce certain uh, results, right? And so there's karma that's more positive and karma that's less positive, you know. And so um, the Buddha, you know often suggested that, if, let's put it here, I'll be very simple, right? If your actions are not based on greed, hatred, or delusion, they're much more positive and will create a more positive uh, flow of karma for yourself and for others. And so that, that's a very simple way to say it. And then, now, in terms of what happens after we die, or in connections with the other side, I, um, he doesn't talk a lot about that, but there's all these stories of him relating to people who are not here. I mean, that's in the text, but he doesn't speak about it. It just happens where this deva comes down from one of the Tushita heavens and tells him something and explains something, and he gets it. And, you know, but that's all in the text. You know, we, it's not the first thing we publicize about the Buddha, but it's in there. And so you could you could do you could go to the Google Buddha and investigate what you're interested in and look up um, Buddha's relationship to other worlds and things like that and see what comes. And then you'll also get some different. Uh, teachings depending on which lineage you're speaking to. So some lineages are more involved with multiple levels of reality and some people are, and some of the traditions are simpler and they're, they're both good and they're both true but it just depends where your, your heart and mind is drawn and then that, I find that as a good way to find your way in Buddhist understanding because one will say, oh, there's just this, and one will say, oh, no, there's this, this, this. They're both true. That's the paradox. Thank you very much. Sure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to a lot of this. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you, and appreciate what you were saying, and yeah, let's see what happens, you know. And, uh, but I would, 
uh, I'm going to say something more personal because you're talking about having communication with people on the other side or who have died. Trust it. That's what I would say, totally. And if you're wrong, you'll find out. <laughs> no, really, no, but because there are just different levels of reality and different people, different of us, are open to different levels of reality. It's not one is right, one is wrong, but if, if you're open to it, let's see what it, let's be curious about it and see what you discover. Okay, Thank yeah, you. sure. Okay, we, we need to stop. Um, let's sit for a moment before we end. And I'll end with a very famous Buddhist chant. Uh, I'll, I'll just say the, the English words are, all conditioned things are impermanent. Actually, the chant goes Anicca Vata Sankara Upadavaya Dhamino Upakitu Nirojanti Te Sang Upasamo Sukho. All conditioned things are impermanent. Their nature is to rise and pass away. To live in harmony with this truth brings the highest happiness. May we all live in harmony with the highest truth that brings us freedom, awakening, and opens our heart and mind to the Dharma and to the potential for us as human beings. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. May we all awaken to our Buddha nature. May all beings be free. Good to be here with you. I'm pretty sure I'm back again next week. Um, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.